seven months was solving problems, four months was getting it ready for sale. And then in actual fact, it was a very strong multi-million pound exit, which was not a bad return on investment financially because we only invested a pound to buy the business. However, I got a lot of gray hair as a result of that ownership. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. My name is Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest, Jonathan J. Jonathan, are you ready to rock? I'm ready. All right. Well, let me tell the audience about you. Jonathan has bought and sold businesses for over 20 years, buying from private equity firms and selling to them as well, and has also done numerous trade deals. In the last few years, he has brought his knowledge to the world through the Dealmakers Academy. He's the UK leader in training people to buy and sell businesses without risking their own capital. I like that part. <laughs> for, for the first time, he is now teaching deal makers how to source and negotiate deals with the intention of generating cash flow and exit opportunities without them having to work in the business day to day and as a bolt-on to an existing business. You can gain free access to Jonathan's webinars and latest book, Business Buying Strategies, The Solution to Your Business Growth Problem, and attend one of his low-cost discovery sessions. Each year, he mentors a select group of deal makers through their first acquisition, and in some cases, partners with them to create a powerful deal team. Jonathan, take a minute and fill in any further tidbits about your life. Well, thank you for that introduction, Andrew. So over the last 20 plus years, I think it's more like 23 years now, I've made my money from buying and selling companies. And most people in business consider that they make their money from operating the business and they draw money out every month and maybe there's a, there's a bonus at the end of the year. But I've made my money from selling the companies and typically the companies that I sell are companies that I've bought a few years earlier. Or in some cases, I've bought several companies in the same sector. I put them together to make a larger company, and that's the company that I sell. So it's a slightly different path to many business owners. And now I help business owners do exactly the same thing. Um, I spend about one day a week working with business owners who say, I've been doing this for 10 years. I can't seem to get my company any bigger. How do I acquire another business and double the size in the next 12 months? That sort of thing. Very exciting. In fact, I just had a conversation with my business partner in one of my other businesses about that exact thing. So we may have some talking to do later. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time to share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. Sure. So I went to a dinner and at the dinner, I got talking to someone who told me about a company in a sector that I already had investments in that apparently was doing very, very well indeed. It was private equity owned, and he thought that I should be talking to them. So I made an approach and discovered that they wanted to sell the business. And they were very open about the finances of the business. And I could see that it, it, had, it had done better in the past. It, you know, the last year or so, 
hadn't been so good, but there was a rationale behind it. And you know, I, I took that at, at face value because at that stage, that's really all I could do. We looked at buying the business and we spent some months during our due diligence and we, we discovered some things that you know, weren't, weren't particularly good, but that was to be expected because we were going to be buying this business for one pound. And when you buy a business for a pound, you take all the liabilities with it. You realize that you've got the rough with the smooth and it's not all going to be a bed of roses and there are going to be some challenges along the way. So we went into it eyes open, but the reality was just terrible. In fact, usually when you buy a business, there are one or two skeletons in the closet and then you buy you know, 10 businesses over a period of time and they've all got different problems and different issues. This particular business had every problem and every issue you could ever imagine all in one place at the same time, times 10. I mean, it was unbelievable. There was nothing right about this business. The staff weren't right. The management wasn't right. The finances weren't right. The product wasn't right. The delivery wasn't right. The supplies weren't right. There was nothing right about this company. It was still making money though which was our incentive to keep on going. And sometimes actually an investment can be quite a good one when a business is making money despite itself. So despite being terribly run, terribly managed, it still manages to make some money. So the next six or seven months were an absolute nightmare because all we did was firefight and solve problems. Every day was different. Every day was stressful. My managing director, who I'd put in there to run everything on a day-to-day -day basis, quit after seven months. He just could not take it anymore. Every day was a new challenge. We had to make a large number of staff redundant to save the business. They weren't surprised in the slightest. They knew that there was a problem. So we had to make 75 or 80 staff redundant on one single day, which actually relieved the pressure and allowed the business to survive. Otherwise, it would have just collapsed. We moved to small offices. We got rid of all the company cars. There was a whole swathe of management that went in the very first week. And they actually contributed a million pounds worth of cost to the business. But by removing them, not only did we free up that million pounds that was just being sucked into their salaries and into their assistants, and even their, their assistants had assistants. So that whole group of people, once they'd gone, it certainly freed up the cash. Interestingly, it made zero difference to the business whatsoever. I mean, they were having no positive impact on the company by being there. And I replaced all of those people with just one person. So we solved a lot of problems, but every time we solved a problem, there was another problem. Um, it seemed a relentless and never-ending stream of issues and problems, but we ended up after seven months with it all under control. It was actually a business that I sold four months later. So I only owned it for 11 months in total. Seven months was solving problems. Four months was getting it ready for sale. And then in actual fact, it was a very strong multi-million pound exit, which was not a bad return on investment financially because we only invested a pound to buy the business. However, I got a lot of gray hair as a result of that ownership. So even though everything turned out all right at the end, it was the most stressful acquisition I have ever done. So, you know, one of the questions about it, before we move into the session where we'll just talk about what you learn, I'm just curious, you know, with your experience, 
And as you said, the, the sellers were open with their stuff. You did due diligence. You know, obviously, everybody expects that, you know, there's going to be some skeletons. But how is it that you would have missed all of that? Well, because so many of the issues were caused by the people and you don't get close to the people until you own the business. Okay, so, so that I think that's a core thing that I didn't think about. But I mean, that's like just right there. I love that you don't get to know about these people until you get close yeah. to them. So up to that point, it's just a name on a spreadsheet with a salary and a start date. And that's really all you, all you have. But when you actually meet the people that you've got and you understand the level of training that they've had and you discover that account managers are just deleting unopened emails from customers because it's easier to delete the email and have an empty inbox than it is to actually do the job of calling customers and solving their issues. That's a really hard cultural, I mean, you, you don't get culture during due diligence. You don't understand that. So the culture was basically to hide everything under the carpet and to do as little work as possible, but take the salary every month. The culture of the management, again, you know, everyone puts their best foot forward. So the executive team that we met certainly presented very well and very professionally, but all they were doing was taking money out of the company. For example, the day before completions, the day before we legally became the owners, I saw in the bank statement there had been a transfer of £10,000 out to the finance director. And when I tried to find out what this was, I discovered that it was an expense account where the finance director had not been paid expenses for, according to her, for the last three years. Now, quite frankly, I don't believe that. And it's a very nice round number, £10,000, that was authorized by the CEO on a very quick email exchange saying, yes, no problem. Really, what was happening was they thought, well, let's all pay ourselves a little bonus here before the sale goes through. And this is coming from the finance director. Now, needless to say, she was only there for a few days during our ownership. We moved her on very, very quickly. So these are the things that in due diligence you, you don't realize until you own the business, which is why I think you've got to be very flexible if you're going to make acquisitions like this. Because if you are a rigid and you want to know everything about everything, you will never be able to adapt to a constantly ever-changing minute-by-minute situation. I mean, on one particular day, all it seemed was that people were quitting. And it's like, you know, this person just quit. Do we know what job they do? We don't even know what job they do, and they've just quit. So you've got to adapt to this changing environment. Got it, got it. And it's interesting because, you know, you're such an expert in this area, and what you've learned through this experience has got to make you even so much more valuable to your clients now. So tell us a little bit about like, what did you learn from this? Well, you've got to be resilient. I think if you get stressed by very small things, buying businesses maybe is not for you because there is always going to be a, some degree of stress and there's always going to be the unknown, which some people find stressful in itself. I think what I learned from this was that if you want the big opportunities, then you've got to expect there to be lots of uncertainty. And my resilience level certainly went up during this process. I thought I was pretty resilient already, but this, this really toughened me up. And I suppose also is that you, you should never believe anything, including the due diligence that you have, that you have paid for. It can all look great in a report, but really... You don't know a business until you own the business, mm. which is why 
you must always expect the unexpected. And every day is a surprise. You know, one of our recent acquisitions was a day nursery childcare business. And we asked the manager of the business what the reputation of the business was in the local community, because really we wanted to find out whether you know, we keep the original brand or do we rebrand it or you know, what are we going to do with it? And she said, the reputation is that this is the nursery that you send your children to if you don't want to pay the bill. And this was a very curious statement. We'd never heard this before. And it was like, so what, so what do you mean, don't pay the bill? She said, well, everyone knows that our billing processes are so poor that you can get away for months and months and months without paying a penny for the childcare. So in actual fact, that's an opportunity for us because all we have to do is to tighten it up and collect the money that we're owed and the business turns a corner very, very quickly indeed. So this adaptability is absolutely key. Mm, yeah. And I think that, you know, you've also highlighted that the point is that if you're buying a successful, smooth running business and all that, well, you don't have as much opportunity for that gain going from one exactly. pound to a sometimes massive a exit. Yeah, sorry to talk over it, but yeah, yeah, sometimes a business can be too perfect yeah. and there isn't any value to be added by the new owner. And sometimes when you're at the point of perfection, the only way is down. So the value of the business can actually diminish over time. What I look for are businesses that have enough headroom for myself and my team to actually add value. And as a result of adding, adding that value, the business in itself increases in value. Fantastic. Well, let me summarize what I took away from it. A couple of things. I mean, the, the first thing that, that you said is that due diligence doesn't really reveal culture. And I thought that's really valuable. Also, the idea that people are just, you know, names on spreadsheets, but the reality is there's much more there than just a name on a spreadsheet. And I think it's a good lesson for for the listeners out there, like myself, that are very quant oriented and looking at numbers and all that to always remember that you know humans are much more complex than a name on a spreadsheet. The other thing I'd take away, you know, you use the word stress quite a bit. Now, I think that the type of business that you do of taking over businesses, you know, that can be a pretty stressful thing. And whenever I think of stress, I always think of health, you know, the importance of maintaining your your health and your, your vitality through that because yes. if you don't maintain that, you know, it's critical. And I remember many years ago, people used to come see me when I was head of research and they'd say, my staff would say, you know, how are you today? I'm going, oh, I'm so stressed. I'm stressed. And so one day I kind of looked at myself and I realized, I wonder what they say about me when somebody asks what Andrew's like. And I thought, I bet you they say he's stressed. So that right. was the day that I stopped, that I removed stress from my life because I stopped saying stress. And I started to replace the word stress with pressure. I'm under pressure. But stress is definitely a component of your business. Yes. The last thing that I would highlight that something that I've experienced is you have to come to the rec realization that sometimes the team that you have around you may not be able to survive that stress. You know, a lot of times the leader, like yourself or others, can handle it. But I think we always have to remember that the people around us, they may have a much lower threshold for what they want out of this. And so Absolutely. always keep in mind, when in the world of startup, they always talk about uh, runway. And they're talking about financial runway. But I always say there's, a, there's an emotional runway that you have to deliver for your team at some point. 
and that delivering releases the stress on the people around you. So those are some of my takeaways. Any thoughts? Yeah, I think, I think you're spot on with those. I do think that if you can handle the pressure, then the opportunities are huge. And pressure can be a good thing because some people perform a lot better under pressure. When their back's against the wall, when are up against a tight deadline, we often get more done leading up to that deadline than we have done in the weeks prior to that. Wait a but minute. I think it, a lot of our listeners are just smiling as they're listening right now, thinking, oh, yeah. <laughs> when I have that deadline looming, that's when, when I get this stuff done. Tomorrow, you get all your work done this evening before you go on your holiday. So pressure can be applied in a very positive uh, way. But if you're buying a business, understanding how pressure works for you in terms of the transaction process can be very useful as well. And understanding that if you're a professional business buyer and the seller of the business has never done it before, they're under immense pressure. And it's your job to help manage that pressure. Otherwise, they get seller's remorse and they pull out of the deal. So understanding all these things, these, these psychological dynamics is as important as understanding the accountancy and understanding the legal elements. Well, I think you've taught us that through your story. You've taught us that it's more than just numbers on a spreadsheet and all the other things. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? And I'd like to really put it into the shoes of maybe a future client of yours or someone else who's in your line of business. They found the company. They've done the preliminary due diligence. They know there's some skeletons in the closets. They're expecting that, but they're just about to make the same mistake. What one piece of advice would you give them? Have a great team around you with a set of skills that you can delegate the issues that you don't know how to deal with to them and you trust them to solve the problems. Got it. That's the piece of advice. Have a great, what we call a deal team. The team that helps you with the deal, have a great deal team around you because that will help you get through those tough times. That's fantastic advice. So for the audience, I think a big takeaway from my perspective is that you can't do something like this alone. And you can't always do it with the people that you're acquiring. You've got to have people that you can rely on that are around you. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? We're buying day nurseries. So the goal is to buy an additional 30 day nurseries in the next 12 months. We have six owned right now from the last two months of acquisition activity. We've got four at Legals. So we want to do another 30 to bring us up to 40 in the next 12 months. Fantastic. And for day nurseries, when you are consolidating or bringing them into your fold, what's the main benefit that you can bring to that business? Professional management. Yeah. That's the difference. I would suppose that many of the day nurseries are run by men and women who are very devoted to what they're doing and making a great experience for the kids but may find accounting Correct. absolutely mind-numbing and not want to deal with all the regulatory and the this and the that. They just want to spend time and help these kids develop. Absolutely. That's spot on. That's Got exactly it. what it is. But you can do both. Yeah. You can have a great environment for the children. The children can get everything that you would expect them and want them to get out of their time at the nursery. But at the same time, it can still be run as a business. It needs to make a profit. Otherwise, it can't stay in business. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. All right. Well, listeners, there you have it. 
Another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit myworstinvestmentever.com. As we end, Jonathan, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers, although this one turned out pretty nicely. But our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Oh, parting words. Well, if you're thinking about buying a business, I'd be very happy to point you in the right direction with some advice. Contact me on LinkedIn. That's a great way of getting in touch with me. Great. And I'll have that LinkedIn link as well as any other links in the show notes. So fantastic. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our wealth, fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.